Oh, that's funny, isn't it? So would you uh, eat the marshmallow or would you wait for the chance to have two of them? Let me ask you this. What if we took Jesus as a preschool-aged child and we placed him in that room? Would he eat the marshmallow? I mean, did Jesus ever get frustrated? Was Jesus ever tempted to, to get even, to seek revenge? Did Jesus get tired at the end of the day and want to sleep? Did Jesus ever feel all alone? Hebrews 2.14 indicates that Jesus was very human. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son, or Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Jesus became very human. He understands our human struggles. He understands and feels our, felt our human emotions during His time here on earth. He was very human. This same Jesus that last week we said reigns supreme over everything because He has the, the greatest name and the greatest position and the greatest authority. The same Jesus who was part of creating the entire universe. The same Jesus that is sitting on His throne in heaven today and the angels are around Him worshiping Him. This same Jesus, when He came to earth, was very human and understands our human struggles. So we're in this series we've called The Incredible Christ and we're looking at some different images of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews as we move towards Easter. And today I want to look at a second image of Jesus and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. So I hope you brought your a Bible or your smartphone or your iPad or however you're reading the Bible these days. And would you find your way to uh, Hebrews chapter 4? And we're going to look at uh, several verses in this chapter. We're going to start sort of towards the end of it. And uh, then we'll go back and pick up some other verses as we look at the second image of Jesus, the incredible Christ. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is another image of the incredible Christ. The same Jesus who last week we said reigned supreme, this image of Jesus shows just how human He was. Just how He felt our emotions. He was born as a, a tiny, helpless baby. We got, when He got hungry, He cried. As a little boy, when He fell down, He bled. He got tired at the end of the day and wanted to sleep. He experienced puberty and loneliness and friendship. He experienced happiness and rejection. He knew what it was like to be alone. Jesus experienced all of that. He was very much human. Now because we see Him though as the, the Son of God, I think that we tend to have this idea that because Jesus is the Son of God, that He just automatically always did what was right without any struggle. 
But verse 15 indicates that he was tempted in all of the same ways that we are. And he has the same drives, the same emotions, the same experiences that we do. And yet, even though he experienced temptation in the same way that we do, Jesus was without sin. He never sinned. He never gave in. In August of uh, 2007, maybe you remember the news story from Minneapolis when Interstate 35, a 1,900-foot section of a bridge collapsed into the river. It was rush hour, and so there were a lot of injuries, and uh, there were some deaths, and an all-night rescue effort. And then, you know, as the smoke began to clear, there was a lot of investigating, some finger-pointing about what caused it. But really, the bottom line for the reason that this bridge collapsed was that it was 40 years old. And they had not done the proper kind of maintenance to keep it from eroding. And so, over a period of time, there was this gradual erosion. It wasn't like this bridge was built one day, and just a few days later, the sound structure collapsed into the river below it. It was a gradual erosion that happened over a period of time. And because nobody took care of it in the way that they should, eventually it gave out. Isn't that how sin works in our lives? Seldom do we have just one moment when we collapse into sin. For us, usually, it is a gradual erosion of choices that leads us to sin. Seldom is it a momentary, cataclysmic departure. But more often, it is a series of what seem like small, insignificant choices. Gradual erosion that leads to sin. Let me illustrate it this way. This beanbag chair, for illustration's sake, imagine with me today that this beanbag chair represents sin. Okay, so this, this, is, this is sin. Now the Bible says that uh, when I see sin somewhere, well, what should I do? The Bible says I should turn and look the other direction, move away from it. But, I mean, what, what's just a glance going to hurt, right? There it is. There's sin. There it is. I mean, what's going to happen to me if I, if I turn and look at it? I mean, is it going to like jump over here and attack me? I'm over here. I'm safe. What's, what's the big deal if I just look at it? In fact, you know, I don't want to be naive in life. And so I want to make sure that I, that I understand sin and, and how it works and everything. So, you know, if I just take one step closer, just because I want to see it a little bit better, make sure I kind of understand it. I mean, really, is it that much safer over here than it is right here? I mean, what's the big deal? Or maybe somebody would say, you know, I have this real problem for me drinking. I get drunk, it becomes a sin. And, and, and I know I just go to the sports bar, not to drink. I want to go and just watch the game on the, on the big screen. It's no big deal, right? Or, or I have these friends that gossip. And I kind of enjoy gossiping. And I know every time I go out to lunch with them, we get into this gossiping and I tell all kinds of things that I shouldn't. But, but I just really like hanging out with them. Or, you know, I, somebody might say I uh, have a little struggle with looking at pornography on the Internet. You know, when the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue comes out, I, I, I get it for the article. I don't get it for the pictures. And, you know, they're clothes anyway. Well, it's no big deal, right? Wow, look. I've moved all the way over here. There it is. There's sin. That seems so dangerous, although I, I do feel like I'm kind of in the dark now. You know, there's a lot more light over there. And, and you know, I, I have been having this sense that I, I feel kind of separated from God. Like, uh, we're just not as close as we used to be. Ah, oh, there's sin. 
What, what could it hurt if I could just touch it? Yeah, 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 I feel good. Yeah, I'm okay. No big deal. I mean, it really does look comfortable, doesn't it? What, what, what could it hurt one time? I mean, nobody will know. It's my secret. Well, what if I just, just one time, I just sit down and see what it's like? Nobody will know. Oh, yeah, it does feel pretty good. Well, I shouldn't stay here too long. Oh, oh, uh, uh, it's kind of hard to hard to get out of. That's still pretty good. I'll just stay a little while. I mean, what what's it gonna hurt? That's still good. Uh, maybe I should get out. Uh, it's so hard to get out of it once you're in it. Actually, it really is. <laughs> now I know that's a silly analogy, isn't it? But isn't that the way sin works in our lives? We just take what seem to be some innocent steps and before we know it, we're entangled in sin and it has some kind of control over us. But here's the thing about Jesus. The thing about Jesus is that He was tempted just like we are, but He never took the first step. He never allowed the gradual erosion to begin in His life. That's how He avoided temptation. That's how He kept from giving in to sin in his life. So I want to look at some things, uh, some principles that are found in Hebrews chapter 4, some things that could help us avoid taking the first step, avoid the gradual erosion, and avoid sin to help us overcome temptation in our lives. The first principle that I notice here in Hebrews chapter 4 is found in verse 12, and it is that we need to choose the right defense. We need to choose the correct defense. Listen to verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The first line of defense in overcoming temptation is the Word of God. It is our primary defense. You know that image of a two-edged sword? paints the picture that it is able to penetrate all the way to our heart and it has the ability to help us keep from taking the first step towards temptation and sin. That's what Jesus did. If you read Jesus' life in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that He used the Word of God as His first line of defense against temptation. When He spent 40 days in the wilderness, the desert, the devil came and kept tempting Him over and over again. And you know what Jesus did every single time to combat the temptation of the devil? He quoted the Word of God. He said, it is written. And He would quote from the Bible, from the words of God. That was His first line of defense, and it ought to be ours too. Psalm 119, verse 11 says this, I have hidden Your Word. He's talking to God. I have hidden Your Word, God, in my heart that I might not sin against You. I have hidden Your Word in my heart that I don't sin against you. And that's what we want to need to do. If we're going to overcome temptation, if we're going to avoid falling into sin, then we've got to hide the Word of God in our heart as a first line of defense. I remember um, in the years right after Peg and I got married that uh, she was at home most of the time and uh, you know did some things like self-pampered chef and then later taught preschool. And money was really tight for us. And so when she would get some extra cash, either for me or through some other source, she had a, a hiding place in her wallet. And it wasn't a hiding place for real long, but um, for a while I didn't know about it. 
Um, and she would take a little bit of cash that she had gotten and she would just kind of hide it in her wallet. And then when something came up where we needed something that we hadn't planned on or she wanted to do something special, she had that money that she could pull out and it was ready for her when that time came. Now, if she hadn't been disciplined enough to take the money and to hide it away in a moment when it didn't seem like we needed it, it wouldn't have been available when that special moment came along that we did. If we don't take time to hide the Word of God in our hearts when it seems like we may not need it, it won't be there when we do. And so it is a matter of a regular discipline of finding time to hide the Word of God in our hearts so that when that moment comes when we are tempted and sin is right over there, we can pull it out of our hearts and use it as a first line of defense to fight against taking that first step towards sin. If you go back to verses uh, 9 and 10, there's some other, uh, another principle that I want us to look at. Now, the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is uh, making a reference to the Sabbath, and He is making an analogy here that directly involves the idea that Jesus has come as our source of salvation. But in this reference to the Sabbath, He also makes another point that I want us to see in verses 9 and 10. He says this, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own works, just as God did from us. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Here's the principle. Another way to avoid temptation and to keep from falling to sin is to have healthy margin in our lives. Now, the the Sabbath principle was an Old Testament principle, and it wasn't just about the fact that we needed to set aside time to worship God. It was also a principle that God was modeling that we needed to set aside time to rest our bodies. Now, I don't think God's ever gotten tired. You know, I doubt that there ever has been a day where God gets to the end of the day and He says, whew, that one really took it out of me. You know, I don't think God's like an athlete that stands on the sidelines with his hands on top of his head trying to, you know, catch his breath after running for a long period of time. God doesn't get tired, but He knows that we do. And so He modeled this important principle for us of resting and rejuvenating. And He understood that when we get to the point of fatigue, whether that is mental fatigue or spiritual fatigue or physical fatigue, that we, in that moment when we are fatigued, we are more vulnerable, more susceptible to temptation. And so He modeled for us this principle that we need to rest, that there needs to be healthy margin in our lives so that there is time to rest and to rejuvenate so that we don't find ourselves so fatigued that we become vulnerable to temptation and ultimately to sin. And so we've got to find those moments to rest. Jesus did that. We read again in the Gospels when you read the story of Jesus' life here on earth, Numerous times, often, he would withdraw from the crowds, from the demands of his schedule, from the busyness of his life. He would withdraw from all that simply to rest and to rejuvenate. And if Jesus needed to create margin in his life for that, don't you think we probably do as well? So if you want to fight off temptation, you want to keep from the first step, stop the gradual erosion, then create some margin for rest in your life. In verse 13, there is another principle I want us to see. The writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Here's the principle. There's no hiding. There's no hiding from God. 
If you uh, wanted to watch uh, any of the March Madness basketball games online, you can do that, uh, March Madness On Demand. And if you go to the website and pull up those games and begin to watch them on your computer, you notice that up in the upper right-hand corner there's a button labeled Boss Button. And the reason that button is there, if you happen to be in your office and maybe you're not supposed to be watching the games, you can click on that button and literally here's what happens. It goes silent, the picture immediately fades away, and this fake email comes up like you are hard at work. So many of you look surprised by that. Let me tell you, I found that right away on my computer because I was afraid other people on the staff would come in and catch me watching the ball game. But, but you know what, in life, you may be able to hide from me, and you can hide things probably from your spouse. You can hide from your boss. And you can hide things from your children. But you cannot hide from God. There is no boss button that covers up the screen of your life and keeps God from seeing what you're doing. There is no room in your house where God can't see. There is no place at your work where God cannot see and hear what is going on. And there is no motivation of your heart that God cannot sniff out. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows. And sometimes I know, we're tempted to think, nobody will know. It's my secret. Nobody's going to get hurt. No big deal. But that is such a lie. It is. God knows. And the next time you are tempted to think that He doesn't, remember, He does. Nothing is hidden from God. Somebody will get hurt. And our sin always hurts God. So the next time you're tempted, don't take that first step. You remember that everything is laid bare before God. He sees everything. He is always right there at the table. He is in that conversation. He is peering over your shoulder as you look at the computer. He is there. And nothing, nothing is hidden from God. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can fool God. There's one more principle I want us to notice, and it's in verse 16. The writer of Hebrews wraps up this chapter by saying this, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's the last principle. Be refreshed in God's grace. Be refreshed in God's grace. I heard about a salesman who was trying to get a company's business. He was making a bid for a particular project. And so he was in an office uh, with a guy from that company meeting and he was asking all kinds of questions, trying to get information to prepare his bid. And one of the questions that he asked prompted the guy to leave the office for just a minute to go find the answer. And so this salesman, while he's standing there all alone, begins to notice that there is a bid from a competitor right there on the desk. He thinks about it for a second and then he decides to go ahead and he begins to read upside down this bid. He gets all the way down to the bottom of the page and he realizes that the bottom line, the bottom number from this other company is covered by a soda can. Thinks about it for just a moment and finally he gives in and he reaches over and he lifts that soda can and as he does, he realizes it is a bottomless soda can filled with BBs. And those BBs go scattering all over the desk and all over that office. And you know, we all have had those times, haven't we? More than we'd like to admit. Where we have lifted the soda can and the BBs have gone everywhere. And there has been a mess because we have given in to temptation. 
And the next time you find yourself there, and the BBs are running all over the place, the first step is to be willing to admit to Jesus, I, I have messed up. I am broken. And I need your healing. I need your grace. And I need your forgiveness. And here's the good news. The good news is that every time I mess up and the BBs run everywhere, if I ask for forgiveness and it is a genuine sorrow on my part, God wants to pour out His refreshing grace. Now maybe you would shoot back and say, but Jeff, I think maybe there's a point where God has grown tired of my struggles. I have made a mess of things so often that He must be growing weary of my request for forgiveness. I have probably used up my supply of God's grace. Let me ask you this. When you first came to Jesus the very first time, did He know at that point all of the sin that you had already committed in your life? And the answer is yes. And when you came to Jesus the very first time to ask for forgiveness, did He know all of the sin that you would commit from that moment on through the rest of your life? And the answer is yes. And do you think that Him knowing all of the sin that you would ever commit that if He knew His supply of grace was going to run out at some point, that there would come a point where He would no longer be willing to forgive you, that He would have forgiven you in the first place? I don't think so. He knew. And He was willing to pour out His grace then. And He's willing to pour out His grace today. If we've made a mess of our lives. Because there have been for all of those moments, for all of us, those moments, when we've taken far too many steps in the direction of sin and we've gotten comfortable with it. There have been far too many instances when we have allowed the gradual erosion to begin and we have fallen, we have collapsed over time right into sin. And if that's you today, I want you to know He's willing and desires to pour out His grace on you and to forgive you and to give you a new beginning. Maria was a single mom. She... Uh, done the very best she could in raising her daughter. She had a job as a maid in a little local hotel and she didn't make a lot, but she made enough to keep a, a shelter over Christina's head and to keep food on the table. Christina was a, a beautiful young girl and as she was uh, growing into her teenage years, she just had a vibrance and a bounce to her. She had this kind of ambitious curiosity and dream that someday, someday she wanted to go live in the city, but her mom would tell her, you know, it may be really difficult to find a job there. Life would be really hard if you didn't have a place to live. You just need to stay here. So Christina had this dream. And so she woke one morning. Her mother woke one morning. And she found that Christina's bed was all made and a lot of her stuff was missing from the room. And immediately Maria knew where her daughter had gone. She had gone to the city. And she also knew what kind of lifestyle that would lead to. A young girl living on the streets. The only way she'd probably make ends meet was by entering into a life that would be really disappointing. And so Maria packed a few things. And on her way to the bus station, she stopped at a drugstore and she took a few pictures, as many as she could afford of herself. She got on that bus and she made her way to the city and uh, she didn't know where her daughter was in this big city, but she went to all those places where a young girl who would be doing what Christina was doing, a young girl who had become a prostitute would go. And she took those little pictures of herself and she wrote a simple note on the back of them and she hung them on mirrors in hotel lobbies and in bathrooms hoping that maybe her daughter would happen across one of them. And when the photos had run out and her money was gone, with tears in her eyes, she got back on the bus and went home. 
Well, it wasn't just a few days later that Christina was coming down a flight of steps and she saw across the way something that she thought looked familiar. Her vibrancy and balance were gone. The smile was erased from her face. There were bags under her eyes. And this hurting young girl reached out and took that picture and realized it was her mother. And immediately, her whole body tightened up. Her chin began to quiver. She turned it over and on the back of that picture was this simple message. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, please come home. And this morning, Jesus would make the same invitation to you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. No matter how mad you think you have messed up your life, maybe there was a day in your past where you already have accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you've made some choices along the way and you feel pretty messed up this morning. He would say to you, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, please, come home. I want to cover you again in my grace. Maybe there are some in this room today. I know there are some in this room today who've never taken that first step to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. He would say the same thing to you. Just please, please come home. And I want you to know this morning that when we wrap things up in a few minutes, I'm going to be standing right down here in the front and if this is the day that you're ready to make Jesus your Savior, to be refreshed in His grace, I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray together. God, I thank You this morning for the refreshing grace of Jesus that has poured into my life so many times when I've made a mess of things. God, I I thank You for this incredible image of Jesus who understands our struggles and our temptations. And God, He has given us such a great example about how to avoid that and how to keep from making a mess out of our lives. And God, would You help us today to avoid that. God, to, to learn these lessons to put these principles into practice in our lives. And God, not to take the first step, not to take the, let the gradual erosion begin, but God, just to cling to Jesus and to overcome temptation. God, thank You for loving us. Thank You for the way You provide for us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.